Hello and welcome to another episode of Casterton's The Fire Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Sherry. We are back to the Fellowship of the Ring and we are on Book 2, Chapter 4, A Journey in the Dark. So if you remember from our last Lord of the Rings episode, the travelers unsuccessfully tried to um, climbed the pass over Caradhras and were stopped by a heavy snowstorm that seemed to have come from um, the ill will of the mountain itself and possibly influence of Sauron also on the weather at the same time. And this is the chapter of the ring goes south. Yes. Which precedes the journey in the dark. And so that leaves them with What a basically their last remaining option other than churning back and giving up on the quest that they would have to attempt the route through Moria. But as as yet, um it had not been officially decided, although Aragorn and um, Gandalf had been discussing it among themselves. They'd also considered the Gap of Rohan, which would mean just going through this space between the mountains where they didn't have to climb over or under anything, but too close to the area overlooked by Saruman to be trustworthy, especially since they're not sure of the allegiance of Rohan at this moment. But where they are now is, it's evening, it's still cold, they've only had a little food and a mouthful each of the elvish mirivore. And... As I said, they're discussing that if they were to quit now, that would be admitting defeat. They would have to go back to Rivendell, which would be eventually besieged and destroyed. And the ring race are dangerous now, but they'd be a lot worse if Sauron had the ring again. And so the idea is put forth to try this other way, try the Mines of Moria. Nobody's liking the sound of that except for Gimli. Who isn't as uh, cheerful about it as as he came off in the movie, but um, he obviously uh, has an interest in seeing the dwarves' homeland again. Uh, to Baramir, it's a name of ill omen, and he's for attempting the Gap of Rohan.
And also it's pointed out that even though Baramir came that way himself, it was just one, he's just, he just looks like one, you know, random rider. Nobody's going to be interested in that. But a large group of people are, yeah. Baramir thinks that to enter Moria would be to go into a trap, and it would be hardly better than knocking at the gates of the Dark Tower itself. For the record, I kind of agree. But nonetheless, Gandalf thinks that this is the best way to go. He's been through it before and come out again. And there's the possibility that dwarves are there and that they might find Belen, son of Fundin, and his expedition that they've heard nothing from in the past, what was it, six years? And what Gandalf had been doing there before is he was looking for Thrain, son of Thor, who was lost. And um, this isn't really uh, relevant to this part of the story, but he was eventually found not there, but in the dungeons of Dol Guldur, which would be in southern Mirkwood. Aragorn said that he also went in through the Dimril Gate side, so the opposite end. And he came out again, but his memory of the place was very evil, and he doesn't wish to go back there a second time. Legolas doesn't want to go in there either, so Gandalf wants to go, Gimli wants to go, Well, I don't really see any choice. And that's that's basically where they're at is whether they want to or not, that looks like that might be the only choice that they will have. And Frodo doesn't think... He doesn't want to go, but he thinks... Uh, he doesn't want to um, go against Gandalf's advice. But they should sleep on it and decide in the morning. Uh, it's it's cold and it's dark and the wind is howling. And then Aragorn um, realizes that this the wind is howling because it's wolves. There's a pack of wolves howling and... With that, Gandalf doesn't even want to wait until morning. But Moria is still 
a good, you know, 20 miles away from where they are on the ground. Uh, it's, it's worded as 15 miles as the crow flies and 20 as the wolf runs. Well, that would be 20 at best. And a wolf can run a lot faster than a person, or for that matter, even like that sort of uh, small pony that they've got. Right. And hobbits have to have shorter legs. So they they choose a place to... That's a a small hill with some trees at the top to um, wait out the night and build a fire and hope they're not attacked by the wolves. And sure enough, the wolves find their hill and they're kind of... Uh, circling it. One of them actually approaches and Gandalf picks up his staff and says, Listen, Hound of Sauron, Gandalf is here. Fly if you value your foul skin. I will shrivel you from tail to snout if you come within this ring. I don't know uh, how literal that is, but the wolf um jumps into the circle and is um, shot by Legolas's arrow. The wolves seem to retreat after that. And afterward, they come back later in the night, a whole pack of them, and they attack from all sides. And there's a fight which... It doesn't sound like any of them got hurt at all, but they took out a lot of wolves. Right. Um, and it it does call them wargs. And... Yeah, these these couldn't have been normal wolves. For one thing... Okay... It's not normal for wolves to... Attack a group of nine armed people. Right. Yes, I suppose uh, hobbits might seem more like children to them, but <laughs> you <laughs> you still got nine people with weapons and a fire. Possibly a traveler totally alone might have something to worry about from regular wolves, but not... I'll say in the real world, it's extremely rare for wolves to attack a person in the wild. Now, how likely that is will depend on the subspecies of wolf and where it is. Like, almost unheard of in the United States, but it's... um more common in India, even though their wolves are runty and small in comparison. Um, they're... Yeah, point of interest, I saw a wolf when I was a teenager 
back in the 1970s in Washington State. And it was in the wild. Uh, basically on the edge of town, on the edge of woods. And uh, it just looked at me. And I looked at it and retreated. And that's pretty much how an encounter with a wolf is most likely to normally go. Gandalf actually sets um, one of the trees on the hill on fire with his staff um, using a magic command. Legolas is down to his last arrow, which catches on fire as he shoots it so it hits the wolf while it's on fire. And after that last arrow is shot, um, all the other wolves run off. Well, that wolf wasn't just a... That was a great wolf chieftain, so that might yeah. be its uh, their pack leader. Right. And yes, I know... Certain ideas about how wolf pack leaders work are outdated and don't hold up a modern, but this isn't really the place where this is relevant. These are wargs. Right. Then when morning comes... They see the charred trees from Gandalf setting the fire, and they find a lot of um, arrows scattered around, but no, no wolf bodies. They even find the, the arrowhead from the arrow that was on fire when it hit the wolf. But so Legolas got back all of his. <laughs> yeah, he was able to get his arrows back, but. This is just very weird. When I first read this, um, when I was younger, I thought that it meant that, um... They were spirit? I, I didn't understand that part. I thought that it meant that the wargs had come back and collected their dead afterward. Oh. Being, from my understanding, somewhat more... Um, intelligent than regular wolves. You know, they have a language. They have an alliance with the orcs. Right. But, no, they there wouldn't have been all those arrows scattered. And there would have been, you know, blood and stuff. Right. There's just nothing. Just all these arrows, so Legolas <laughs> and the still had his arsenal. The only way I can really understand it is that these wolves were some kind of spirit or phantom... And it's just never explained how that works. Back in The Hobbit, um, Bjorn killed a warg and skinned it. That meant it left a body behind. Right. And I don't know whether that's um, Tolkien updating his idea of what wargs are like, or whether 
these are um, something else different. Some readers have suggested that they're not wargs, they're werewolves. Which, okay, in Tolkien lore, werewolves are basically a possessed wolf. It's not a person that turns into a wolf and back again. But even with that explanation, that doesn't seem to explain to me why that would... I would presume a wolf inhabited by a spirit would still leave some kind of a body. And if these were something other than wargs, I feel like this would have been explained somehow. So it's just a really odd part of this chapter that doesn't get discussed even online as much as you would think. Oh, that surprises me. I would think on some kind of token... I mean, yes, there are people on, like, Reddit. Mm-hmm. And they pretty much had the conversation go pretty similarly to what I've said. Without really coming to a neat conclusion. Here's a bit that I missed. So, before the attack of the wolves, um, they're, they're still discussing well, whether they want to go into Moria or not. Mm-hmm. And um, Boromir s- says the wolf that one hears is worse than the orc that one f- that one fears. Now, Boromir, who doesn't want to go in, mm-hmm. uh, meaning you know, the other the wolves that they know about is worse than the orcs that may or may not be there. I'm not sure I would agree. I would, I think I would much rather deal deal with wolves than, you know, out in the open than orcs that may or may not be there in the dark. Yeah. Orcs with weapons. I mean, yes, wolves have teeth, but There's one thing I would rather have to face than the other. Um, But Aragorn says, and I guess this is probably some kind of proverb or something, where the warg howls, there also the orc prowls, which I take as if the wargs are there, then the orcs that they have an alliance with are probably already there too. Mm. So I don't think this uh, bodes well for... Moria being a safe place to go into. They they make their way toward there, and they're having trouble finding it. There's a stream, the Cyrenon, that they're expecting to find, and they're just not finding it. And when they do find it, the water is very shallow, slow-moving, where it used to be, you know, a full rushing stream. And when they get to the cliff face of where the gate is supposed to be, there's this lake 
of just murky, nasty-looking, stagnant water. And you can see, like, a place where it's jammed off with, like, stone and debris. Now, I would... I understand that they don't have the time to deal with that right now. But I would think that that would be a simple enough thing to unblock again. Right. Yeah, you know, get out your dwarvish pickaxes and like I would think that would could have been something the expedition of dwarves from before could have maybe fixed. They didn't, but they could have. Right. Nobody wants to touch that water. There is a... They don't really have a way to get across it without... Um, crossing where the stream kind of goes into it. Mm-hmm. And Frodo thinks the water feels you know, gross to step through. I, I can imagine what that would be like. They're all kind of scared of this water, and there isn't, like, a clear reason yet as to why nobody likes it. And Gandalf says that they're going to have to turn loose Bill the Pony because they can't bring him into the mine. that um, it's going to be dark there and there will be places narrow and steep where the pony can't walk. Now, once again, I'm not sure that's the case. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's... I'm sure the pony would hate it, but... Back in the day, ponies and mules both worked in mines. It wasn't humane. It wasn't that humane for the people working there either. Well, these are mines made by men, though. Dwarves. Dwarves. I'm talking... Well... If the dwarves didn't make it with ponies and such in mind, they wouldn't necessarily, you know, there could be steps and things. Which would be more obstacles. Difficult, not pleasant. Well, there really isn't a good option either way with the pony. Right. It's either try to take the pony through a place that it's going to be scared to go into and have a lot of obstacles, or turning the pony loose in the wild with a lot of wolves around. Yeah. I would think the worst thing that they could possibly, assuming they are not attacked in the mines by anything... If there were any, like, really low spaces that that you'd have to duck to go through. Right. I mean, 
it would be not easy to make a horse do that and maybe not possible. Right. And meanwhile, they're looking for where this um, gate would be. They can see a space where the cliff is blank with two immensely tall holly trees, which I've never seen an immensely tall holly tree. Even in barely touched woods where... Maybe eight or ten feet. Tall feet, something, I don't know. I've seen maybe like a 25 foot. I, I'm not... Yeah. Math estimates are not my strong point, but I've seen holly trees probably bigger than most people have, and I would still not call them immense, so this must be really something, and not necessarily uh, realistic really something. This is, after all, High Holland, where... I guess holly trees are what grows here. Um, Gandalf says that this is where the west door is supposed to be. And it was made there for traffic between the Lords of Moria and, you know, who they'd be trading with. And they had... There was friendship between folk of different races, even between dwarves and elves. And uh, Gimli uh, makes some of a remark about it wasn't the fault of the dwarves that the friendship waned. And Legolas says, I have not heard that it was the fault of the elves. And Gandalf says that he's, um, heard both. But he needs Legolas and Gimli to be friends for now and help him. Right. So as you can see, the elvish, dwarvish, uh, animosity is sort of underlying there. And they're all having to divide all the stuff that the pony was carrying and leave some of it behind. Mostly, um, winter clothes because it's not going to be as cold um, once they reach the other side. Sam does not want to leave Bill the Pony behind. And, you know, says that the Pony would follow him into a dragon's den if he let him. And Gandalf is saying he's going to have to choose between Bill and Frodo. Mm -hmm. And he... He gives some uh, words of guard and guiding to the pony. You are a wise beast and have learned much in Rivendell. Make your ways to places where you can find grass, and so come in time to Elrond's house or wherever you wish to go. 
And after he says this to the pony, he says that um, it would have as much chance of escaping wolves and getting home as they do. Which... I don't understand how this is supposed to work, but this seems to be put some sort of, I'd say, protection or blessing on the pony, or at least give it directions that it understands. Yeah. And... Gandalf is continuing to um, try saying like, different words and passing his hands over the rock. And finally the moon is shining on it and there's an outline of the door. And Tolkien actually drew... Uh, picture of it that's as far as I know in all copies of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it's in my copy too. So it has a stylized two trees that don't look particularly like holly. An outline of a hammer and an anvil and a crown Surmounted with seven stars. Um, the trees are bearing two crescent moons. And there's a many-rayed star in the middle. The hammer and anvil are the emblem, and the crown with the stars are the emblems of Durin. The tree is of the High Elves, and the star is of the House of Feanor. And these inscriptions are made of Ithildin that mirrors only starlight and moonlight. And the inscriptions are in an elven tongue of the West in the Elder Days. And they say, The doors of Durin... Lord of Moria, speak, friend, and enter. And underneath, I, Narvi, made them. Celebrimbor of Holland drew these signs. I know that um, Narvi was a dwarf. So both a, and Celebrimbor was an elf of Holland. So both an elf and a dwarf worked together making this door. Gandalf can tell that the doors are um, probably governed by words, meaning that they would have to say a password to get the doors to open. And talks about different types of dwarf doors that only open at special times or for a particular person, and even then needing a lock and key. And if they were shut and you didn't know the secret, then...
Um, so yes, the 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 dwarf chores there's uh, have special ways of opening them, and um, one example. If you read The Hobbit or um, you listen to our Hobbit podcast episodes, the door that Bilbo used to get into Smog's lair, it had to have a key, it had to have the light shining on a specific day of the year, and there's no opening it otherwise. But these doors weren't meant to be a secret. They were meant to be used for, you know, major traffic and trade. So, these are meant to be found more easily, and presumably the word used to open them would not have been so secret back when it was being used. But for some reason, Gandalf doesn't remember it anymore. And yet, he's been around a long time. He's got a lot of stuff to remember. And he believes that the words are going to be in Elvish because the script wasn't Elvish. And he's trying different spells, and none of them are working. It's getting later. He's getting angrier. He's uh, hitting the doors with his staff and saying, Idro, Idro, and open, open, which are the same thing. And Idro is open and elvish. And then he just, like, throws the staff down and sits. He's... Frustrated and getting nowhere. They're still hearing wolves in the distance. The pony's getting nervous. Barmir says not to let them run away. Because they might still need him. If they're not going to be able to get in. If the wolves don't get them. And he hates this foul pool. And he picks up a big rock and throws it in. And uh, some ripples are coming from the water from beyond where the stone had fallen, which is uh, means they probably weren't made by more than just the stone. Right. Nobody's happy about uh, Barbier throwing that rock in there. And it's continuing to ripple. And then finally Gandalf gets up and he's laughing. And he picks up his staff and stands in front of the door again and says, Melon. And, uh... The door actually outlines so it's a door, not just a picture... And it opens up outward so that both um, 
doors are against the wall, and they can see stairs going upward into total darkness. Melon is elvish for friend, so it's speak friend and enter, or say friend and enter. And as uh, Gandalf puts it, too simple for a learned lore master in these suspicious days, those were happier times. And just as they're about to go in, a tentacle comes out of the water and grabs Frodo by the ankle. Bill the Pony panics and gallops off. Sam has to choose between following the pony and um, saving Frodo from the tentacle. And he goes for the tentacle, but you know he's obviously you know, grieved to have to um, not not help the horse. Yeah, to choose between them. And this tentacle is pale green, luminous, wet, and it has a fingered end. Mm. Which, uh, I think that would mean that the Ralph Bakshi version of um, Lord of the Rings, the, the animated one, might be the most accurate version. Yeah. Because it had, like, weird finger things on it. Twenty other arms come out of the water. So whether it's one thing or a lot of multiple things. Yeah, when you think of tentacle, you think of like octopus. an octopus. But 20 is a lot more than an octopus would have. And that, and that wouldn't be something normal to find in a damned stream at all. Well... Nothing about this place and, is normal. And I mean damned as in it was damned. I'm not, like... I'm not cursing on air, people. <sighs> yeah, Sam thinks it's snakes. Yeah. It's not snakes. <laughs> Tentacle kind of says something. He says, poor old Bill, poor old Bill. Wolves and snakes, but the snakes were too much for him. I had to choose, Mr. Frodo. I had to come with you. Well, I don't think... I don't think hobbits, especially since they avoid the ocean... Yeah. I don't think they'd have much knowledge of octopus or squid or knowing what that is. But snakes they would have seen. They manage to get away and go over the threshold into the cave. And the then the tentacles, they reach out, grab the doors, force them shut, and uh, then causing a cave-in on the outside. So not only are they in the mountain, but they're shut in. They can't go back out that way even if yeah, they want to. They're, they're 
They have nowhere to go but forward now. Gandalf doesn't know what the thing was, but um, knows that all the arms were guided by one purpose, which I would say means it probably is one animal. Hey, Nim. Don't wake up all growly. And he thinks that something has crept or been driven out of dark waters from under the mountains. There are older and fouler things than orcs in the deep places of the world. And he doesn't say this out loud, but he takes note that it grabbed Frodo first. Which means that it too might be something going, after going the for the ring. Yes. So they've got nowhere to go but forward. Gandalf will lead with his staff, um, with a a a glow at the top of it, and Gimli will walk in front too because these are. Dwarven mines. They've actually got a 200 step stairway to climb. As I said, I don't think Bill the Pony would want to do that. Meanwhile, uh, I know this is not comparable at all. Gandalf in the movie. Um, I don't know whether this was really uh, Ian McKellen or whether this was a stunt guy, but was definitely riding the real horse up a real stairway in one of the um, Minas Tirith scenes. Uh I know... A much smaller stairway in light is not at all the same situation, and it doesn't compare. Right. And that horse surely was trained to do that. So they estimate that it's going to be 40 miles and take them about four days to get through. I mean, I would say that they should be able to handle more than 10 miles in a day, but this is dark. They don't know what kind of obstacles they might run into. And how much up and down. It's a much harder way to go up and down than straight across. And they have to be careful with their water, because even though there are a lot of um, streams and wells in the mines, they're not to be touched, and he doesn't say why. I mean, I suppose the obvious sensible answer is heavy metal seepages and stuff from, or, you know, other pollutants from the mining. Yeah. I mean, can, can you think of any other reason? Well... Unless it was tainted on purpose. I mean, yeah, I'd wonder, like, magical, anything. It's just one of those details that I'm curious about and it doesn't mention again. Right. 
So they go forward, Gandalf has his light, and he also is holding the sword Glamdring. Um, I will note that neither Glamdring nor Sting are actively glowing at this time, and both of those swords w have a property to them where they would glow if orcs were near. So if any orcs are there, they're not close. Yeah. I would still be very, very not okay with being in... An abandoned mine that may or may not have works in it, and in the dark, and all these passages off to the side. Well, well geez, especially like claustrophobia. Bill would have a hard time. He he's not a. He gets claustrophobic. These mines are like claustrophobic and agoraphobic at the same time, yeah. and I'm sure they're written that way on purpose. Yeah. And I wouldn't normally say that I had claustrophobia, but I think I would there. I've really only had a claustrophobia thing, or what I think was that happened with me like once. Um... I certainly don't mind at least, you know, the well-explored caves that have lighting in them that, you right. know, tourists go in, but this isn't exactly the same thing at all. I only had one experience, and it wasn't anything like that. I used to wiggle a lot in my sleep with a little girl, and I was in a sleeping bag. And I woke up, and somehow I was the wrong way in the sleeping bag. So my head was down at the bottom of the zipped end, and my feet were out the hole. I'm not even sure if claustrophobia is the right word for it, but I was in a movie theater, and it was... It wasn't, like, a horror movie, but it, it was a kind of very somber movie with a heavy somber soundtrack mm -hmm. and somehow I felt like I wanted to get out of there I didn't I didn't want to seem like I was like chickening out about the movie in front of the people I was with but mean, that's I, like the nearest <laughs> the nearest to something like that I've uh, had happen but So yes, they're they're going on through these caves. They're getting various side passages that they're so far not taking. There's fissures in the floor that that would be a problem for the pony potentially. Um, holes, pitfalls, dark wells beside the path, which you know they could have stepped in that. Right. Oh, and here's the part. I don't like this. There's a seven-foot thing to jump across. Oh, yeah. And I don't know how any of... All right. I'm taller than The Hobbit, but I'm very short, and I could not jump that. When I was a thin, springy kid, I could not have jumped that. Um... 
even even maybe the more athletic, taller characters like Baromir or Aragorn, like, okay, mm-hmm. you want to jump that, you want to jump that, maybe in armor? Uh, right. Don't know how the pony would have done. I would normally say a pony is a better distance jumper than a person, but if the packs and stuff are taken off of its back first. Right. So, I don't know how any of them jumped it, let alone the hobbits. I would not have made it. I would not have attempted it. I would have... Since that really does not seem like a remotely okay way to die, um, I would have either insisted on attempting another path or tried to MacGyver something to get across. No way would I have tried to jump that. Especially since apparently there's fast-churning water in the depths and they think that they could hear a mill wheel. Right. Uh, apparently that mill wheel has been, uh, I believe it's been built into that Lotro game I play. I've never seen it. I always get lost when I try to do Moria stuff. So, I just haven't gotten that far. I uh, detour around Moria if I have any reason to... That means I'm pretty much stuck on the quest, but be that as it may. So they're pretty deep now. And Frodo is apparently, even though he was healed in Rivendell of the stab wound from the knife, it has some after effects and he can he's more aware of things in the dark than the others are except for possibly Gandalf and also the ring is um weighing heavily on him and i think this is the first time that it really starts to do that yeah And he's he could also he could hear all the sounds of their sh- different boots and shoes that they're wearing, but he also thinks that he could hear a very faint, like barefoot pattering kind of sound that keeps going even after they've stopped for just a little bit. So it's not an echo. And he's not saying anything. About he's not saying anything about that, which. I'm sorry, but that's really dumb. They're in a cave. They're worried about being attacked by orcs. That could have been an orc for all Frodo knows. They reach a uh, split where there's three passages. All three seem to be going in the right way, but one of them goes down 
The other goes up, and the other just runs straight on, but it's very narrow. And Gandalf says he doesn't have has no memory of this place at all. And thinks they should stop there for the rest of the night and make the decision after. And Sam is, you know, continuing to worry about the pony. Um, that is the exact opposite of a place where I would want to stop and stay the night. Three passages, three passages to worry about instead yeah. of just one. But there's a little uh, room off to the side that has a sort of doorway that is the best they're going to get as far as shelter in there. And in, but in the middle, there is a hole that used to be like a well for, they think that it was a guard room back when dwarves lived there and the well was for them to drink water while they're on duty. Right. But the lid is gone. There's just some broken chains left and some broken stone that used to be the lid, so it's just a gaping hole in the floor. And everybody moves as far away as they can to sleep, except for Pippin, who's fascinated with the hole in the floor and just keeps getting closer until he's kind of looking over the edge. And then he just drops a rock in there. And it's a while before he hears it hit um, what sounds like water in the bottom. Well, that could be a reason for dropping it. Yeah, that could be a reason for dropping it. But... But, but don't drop it, yes. Right. Um... Gandalf Don't hears the noise. To yourselves. Um, calls him a fool of a took. Um, this is a serious journey, not a hobbit walking party. Throw yourself in next time, and then you will be no further nuisance. Now be quiet. I'd say this is like the angriest, uh, yeah, angriest Pippin has ever seen Gandalf. And they don't hear anything else for a few more minutes, but then they start hearing these knocks. Um, Tom Tap, Tap Tom, Tom Tap. And they sound like they could be signals of some kind, and Gimli says that's the sound of a hammer. And uh, Gandalf thinks that may have come from Pippin throwing the rock in there, or maybe it doesn't. But he thinks something has been disturbed, it should have been left alone, don't do something like that again. Pippin gets first watch for causing all that trouble. And Pippin is really afraid of this hole now and is afraid something will come out of it. And Gandalf is lying awake. He can't sleep either. And he... Um... Relieves Pippin from the watch and um, 
and he realizes that um, what's the matter with him is he hasn't um, smoked in several days. Which, uh, you could take it as, well, he just wanted to smoke. Or maybe he's a little bit uh, physically addicted to the... Well, would that, that would have come across if you're addicted a lot sooner than a few days. How quick would that be? I mean, I'm saying as someone who's never uh, smoked any kind of tobacco. Well, I used to smoke, smoke Balkan Sobranis, which was a specialty tobacco cigarette. And I only smoked at certain times, so I didn't smoke every day. And I didn't smoke many at all. You know, I think people who are like, are like, I need a cigarette right now, it's like less than a day before that hits. Oh, yeah. Well, however you interpret that, uh, Gandalf... Maybe pipe weed isn't addictive. Maybe it isn't. Well, Gandalf wanted to smoke, and so he's got... A little glowing chip that I guess he's burning a little of his uh, wizard pipe weed on and, you know, concealing it and trying not to be too conspicuous with it. The next day, they have to choose which of those ways they're going to go. And Gandalf doesn't like the feel of the middle way. Which is the straight on narrow path. Or the smell of the left hand path that goes down. He thinks there's foul air down there. So they're to take the right hand path going up. Because this time they started climbing up again. I think I meant to look this up and I didn't. What kind of foul air in the mine? What would that be? Would that be like methane gas is, or gas is escaping? I mean, I know that that's a real thing. Um, coal miners have to worry about that, but it's not something I know much about. Well, that was the idea back in the day when the parakeets... Oh, the canary, brought, yes. ...canaries would be brought down into the mines. And if the air was bad, it was supposed to get sick or die, the canary would be, and then you better get yourself out of there. Basically, old-timey mining wasn't good for anyone. Not for the miners, not for the animals. That's right. But wasn't there supposed to be some connection with the air being like that and the risk of an explosion? That's right. Um, I actually have a Sherlock Holmes episode that I listened to that uh, it's in a mine 
and there is a gas leak in an unused portion of the, well, abandoned part of the mine. And, uh, the, the bad guy miner, he, he basically had the leak plugged, but he had unplugged it as a threat to other, you know, like, he threatened Holmes and Watson with it. And, anyhow, so yeah. So, don't take that downward path where, I guess, I guess Gandalf is able to smell that the air in there is bad. Yeah. And as they, they keep going, they get to what um, Gandalf says they're coming to habitable parts. Well, they're still not meeting anyone. It's still all dark. But he um, lights up his staff um, much brighter. And they're actually able to see that the roof is very high. It's got pillars. It's It's a very large space and it's been it it's dwarven construction. Now if he could light up his staff and choose how bright it is you'd think they'd just not be walking in the dark at all, right? Well, I think that they're still uh trying to avoid detection detection. But they they think they're getting closer to like, the eastern side of it, and that if they were to wait till morning, they might actually see real daylight because the dwarves put shafts to the surface to let light in. And, um. Uh, Sam said there must have been a mighty crowd of dwarves um, busier than badgers for 500 years to make all this and it's through hard rock and why did they do this? They didn't live in these darksome holes surely and uh, Gimli says these are not holes, this is the great realm and city of the Twerodolf and it was not it didn't used to be dark, it was full of light and splendor and then he does a a long chant about um, one of the original fathers of the dwarves, Durin the Deathless. It starts, the world was young, the mountains green, no stain yet on the moon was seen. No words were laid on stream or stone when Durin woke and walked alone. I'm not giving it to you in full, but it, it talks about Durin um, exploring, um, seeing the um, crown reflected on his head in the mirror mirror. And... the dwarven city and how um 
they worked gems, they made armor, they had music. But now it's abandoned and dark. And um, Durin's tomb is there now. But Mirror Mirror still has the reflection of the stars in it. And um, Durin will wake again from sleep one day, which um, has to do with um, a belief of the dwarves that um, Durin the Deathless will... um, reawake at some point. I have read not consistent versions of what that means to them. One is like literally during the Deathless will come back and the other is that he would be reincarnated through um, other dwarf rulers and that's why so many were named Durin over the years. And if you want to find several really good renditions of this poem, look up Clamavity Profundus on YouTube. Um, they've got a regular version of it, they've got a cappella, um, they have a shorter one, they've got the song in full. I highly recommend checking it out. Clamavi de Profundus on YouTube. Song of Durin. Frodo asks if there are still piles of jewels and gold lying around. And Gandalf says no, the orcs would have taken all of that. And the ones that the orcs haven't taken are in uh, deep shafts and treasuries that are drowned in water or in a shadow of fear. So, uh, this is implying there's stuff down there that even the orcs don't want to mess with. And Sam asks why the dwarves wanted to come back. And um, Gandalf explains about Mithril, which is basically a type of silver that The dwarves can make a metal out of it that's harder than steel, but can be, you know, beaten and shaped. And looks like silver, but it doesn't tarnish, it stays shiny. And its worth was ten times that of gold back then, and now it is beyond price. Very little of it's left above ground. Um, even the orcs don't dare mine for it. And the loads lead away north towards Caradhras and down to darkness. Now, I've wondered if, like, the mining for that and... I, I don't... I don't know how it works, but I think there's some connection between Caradhras being where the mythful is found and Caradhras being an apparently sentient and angry uh, land formation. 
um, the dwarves um, delved too greedily and too deep and disturbed that from which they fled Durin's Bane. So Caradros has the mythful and it's where Durin's Bane was underneath. But of the mythful that um, had been unearthed, the orcs took it and gave it to Sauron who covets it. And the elves also loved Mithril, and they used it to make Ethildin Star Moon, which was what was on the doors. And Bilbo had a corslet of Mithril rings that Thorin gave him, and wonders what became of it. It's probably still gathering dust in Mitchell Delving Matham House. But as you know, it's not. Frodo is wearing it under his clothes. And Gimli is uh, startled to hear that um, a corslet of Moria silver being, uh, as he says, a kingly gift. And Gandalf um, says he never told Bilbo, but its worth was greater than the value of the whole Shire and everything in it. I'm not not exactly sure how that... uh, how that monetarily would uh, be calculated there. But Frodo is shocked and he's just kind of like silently feeling the rings of his mail shirt. It says he felt staggered to think that he had been walking about with the price of the Shire under his jacket and wondered if Bilbo knew about that, but he thinks Bilbo did know. And it was indeed a kingly gift, and then he's, you know, back to thinking about Bilbo and their old life in the Shire when, you know, he didn't have to think about Moria or Mithril or the Ring. And then it's it's silent. They go to sleep except for Frodo. He doesn't even hear the imagined echo of a footfall. But he thought he saw two pale points of light like luminous eyes. He doesn't tell anyone. He thinks that he must have nearly fallen asleep, and he was on the edge of a dream, and then Legolas takes the next watch. Um, and at that point, they think they're most likely above above the gateway, so they're going to have to make their way downward again, but they must be very close to it, and then they'll find the Mirror Mirror and Dimrald Dale, and even Gimli wants to be done with Moria. He says he's seen it, it's very great, but it has become dark and dreadful. He found no sign of their ki- his kindred, and he doubts if Balin ever came here. And uh, when, when the morning comes, sure enough, they see real light coming through the shafts. 
and they see a sort of um, chamber which they they go through into, and there's a lot of dust on the floor and an oblong um, slab of white stone, which Frodo thinks it looks like a tomb, and it on the slab there's runes which are provided on the page. And it's and um, Gandalf says these are Daron's runes, such as were used of old in Moria, which you know is interesting because Daron was an elf. So I don't, I don't quite understand, like why an elf would, why dwarves would be using elf runes that. Um, they certainly look like the style the style of them does not look like elvish lettering. It looks pretty close to the runes used by the dwarves and the Hobbit. And it's written in the tongues of men and dwarves, Balin, son of Fundin, Lord of Moria. Which means he came here, he died, that's his tomb. No other, and there's no sign of any living dwarves around. And uh, with that, the chapter ends. Uh, this has been a long chapter where I've tried to cover a lot of different things that kind of deserved a tangent of their own, but do you have any uh, anything else of note about this? Um, the only thing... Did you mention what Gandalf said to Bill the Pony? Yes, about how he get us... A, a little speech term that might be okay, of yes. okay, that was it. a blessing of sorts or, or something to see the pony safely back to Rivendell or wherever else the pony might wish to go. Right. Okay, that was that was all. And the next chapter is chapter five, the bridge of Kazadum. So we'll be covering that. We'll be doing more Game of Thrones, more Hunger Games. And uh, if we can get this together on time, we're also going to do a Christmas special. Um, a Redwall Winter's Tale. Sounds good. Thanks for uh, listening to Castings the Fire podcast, and have a great evening. Night.